Let me ask you a question. Do you have a deep knowing that you're only just scratching the surface of where you're capable of taking your business growth? Are you successful but have some invisible hurdles that are slowing you down? Business growth comes from creating and implementing strategies and frameworks, but strategies and frameworks on their own will not take you to the level I know you desire and are capable of. Living in alignment with your unique human design will help you to attract the abundance you are ready for. And I've just created a free guide to help you understand your unique human design blueprint. It's called the Human Design Advantage, and you can get your copy over at samanthariley.global forward slash advantage. You're listening to the Thought Leaders Business Lab, episode 24. And today we're talking about building exceptional business culture. So pop your earbuds in and stay tuned. Hi, I'm Samantha Riley, and I work with thought leaders and experts to help them double their income, their freedom, and their impact to create a business and a life they love. From my business background of 25 years, I've learned there are three key areas to growing a successful business, your mindset, your talents, and the people you surround yourself with. Here in the Business Lab, we'll interview successful entrepreneurs and deep dive to discover the exact strategies that they have used to build their business so that you can experiment and implement these strategies in your business too. Welcome to the Thought Leaders Business Lab. Welcome to today's show. I'm your host, Samantha Riley, and I'm super looking forward to hanging out with you today in the Thought Leaders Business Lab. Now, today's guest is just a little bit different, and I knew that right from the moment I opened his bio and the first line said, I've never been afraid of clowns. In fact, I like clowns. That really got me looking. I absolutely loved that. I love I love people that think differently. Uh, now, Craig's an entrepreneur, which we know means a lot of things, and he's going to tell us about what that means to him. But uh, he's done some great things. He's given away close to a million dollars in the last seven years. He's met Ringo Starr, bumped into Paul McCartney. Um, he had his staff blessed while meeting the Dalai Lama. He's partied with Akon and Snoop Dogg and many other celebrities. And he shares a story about how he dressed up as a security guard to try and meet Richard Branson. Well, he, he uh, shares the story in the episode of exactly what happened. And you need to listen in to hear whether he pulled it off or not. In the last 20 years of business, he's learned that you can't grow a business beyond your own personal growth. And he shares a lot about what that personal growth has meant to him personally and how that personal growth has enabled him to go from broke and owning nothing to owning a multi-million dollar business. Um, He believes in living life like an extreme sport. And in this episode, you he will share many stories about what that means to him. I really am looking forward to sharing this episode with you. So without further ado, let's jump in and meet our expert today, Craig Handley. Good morning, Craig. Welcome to the Thought Leaders Business Lab. I'm so excited to have you here today. I'm excited to be here. Awesome, awesome. Now, we have only just briefly met today for the first time and we chatted for... 10 minutes. And it was um, love at first sight. <laughs> it totally was. Yep. And I went, actually, let's stop. Let's regroup and let's just jump straight in and do this interview because <laughs> I just knew that we had to do this straight away. I'm really looking forward to chatting with you today about your 
dream trust concept. Before we jump into that, why don't you tell us a little bit about what you do now and I'd love you to actually even share a little bit about how you got to where you are now because this is quite an incredible story. Yeah, so, um, you know, I was I was very poor. I mean, you know, I guess middle class might be the word for it. My dad was a state trooper and my mom stayed at home. And I got accepted to music school. I've always wanted to be a musician and I've had some success. I've written some nice songs. I opened for Coolio. I don't know if you know who Coolio is. He I did do, the and whole that's very Coolio that you did that. <laughs> In front of 14,000 people all screaming, and I think I had one bra thrown at me, so that was kind of exciting. <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, anyway, it was uh, you know a good time. I had a chance to sign a record contract and go that route, but my business had just had a very successful year, and the, the record producer said, I have two questions. Number one, can your business survive without you? And number two, are you going to be okay without seeing your kids for a year because the tour schedule is brutal? And I'm like, oh, man. And I had just gotten a divorce and had four kids. And But when I started the business, I was living in my mother-in-law's basement. I had my car towed out of my driveway, and I was actually working as a phone operator in a call center. And I started to get really well known for writing copy that people used in phone centers. You know, I would, I had a real interesting way to teach people how to read a phone script. And I put little arrows for uptones and arrows for downtones. And so I was really good at teaching people how to sell over the telephone. So I started doing it as a consultant. And when I traveled across the country to other call centers, some of my philosophies, like one of my philosophies was in the greeting, you should personalize and disarm the customer. And it was a minute and a half process to really build rapport. And at the back end of the call, my theory was, and I've proven this since, my theory was that you would be able to upsell them more products, cross-sell them more products. You've now developed rapport, which establishes trust. There's a higher likelihood they'll buy from you on the front end. But there were all these call centers that were like, nope, we just want to answer the phone. Hi, what's your name? What's your address? What's your credit card? really dry. And I had a philosophy that you want to buy a girl a drink before you ask her to go home with you. And so I, instead of fighting, you know, with other companies, what I thought I knew, I said, I'm going to open my own call center. And in talking to some media companies, they were like, you know what, Craig, nobody's doing anything in the U.S. Hispanic market. And we want to buy more media there. Hispanics are coming out with credit cards. And, and so I said, huh, all right. And so I ended up going to against everybody's advice. <laughs> I went to Juarez and I went to Monterey and Mexico City and Hermosillo and just trying to find the right location, which I didn't really know what it was. But Hermosillo had no other call centers. It was a million people and the price was right. The guy you know that we talked to was going to let us have 20 seats inside of his facility that he was doing customer service work for Telcel. And so I had 20 seats and... Uh, and that's how we started. And I, you know, didn't have a ton of money. I, there were times over the first six months I was in Mexico and couldn't afford to go home. There was a time when we couldn't make payroll for a few weeks in a row. And the guy that we were working with, the leasing guy had, you know, funded the payroll for me. Wow. Uh, we ended up getting a loan for a quarter of a million dollars from somebody who was a friend mm -hmm. who didn't require any, um, he didn't ask us to have any contingency around it. You know, we didn't have to put up our homes and, uh, the, the big change for us was when we stopped taking COD. Everybody said, if you want to do something in Spanish, you're going to take COD because Hispanics don't have credit cards. And for the first six months, we were losing money trying to do COD. And I just said, you know what? I think Hispanics have credit cards. Let's prove me right or wrong. And if we're wrong, we're going to go out of business and it'll be another failed venture. But if we're right, it'll work. And I was right. They did have credit cards. And, and we went from doing, you know, three or four million a year to within three years, we we're doing 15 million a year in revenue. We made Inc. 500's fastest growing private companies. We had over a thousand employees that we were trying to manage. 
just went from okay to super successful through that time frame. And I love this story, the overnight success story, right? Where everything just fell into your lap. <laughs> now, there, just before we go on, and I didn't expect to be sort of deep diving here already, but let's just go with it, right? Let's go with it. At the time that you had no money, said that you, you, know, you went to Mexico, you said you went against what everyone said. Now, I find, and, you know, I've been in business a long time as well, and I know that, that, you know, not being able to make payroll, and we've all got those stories, it's really difficult at a time where you don't have the money to go against what people say, because it's like, when you don't have that financial security there, it can be a lot more difficult to make a decision. At that time, were you second guessing yourself? Probably. Um, I just sometimes... When you put yourself in a situation, I think Tony Robbins says it when he says, you know, if you're, you know, if you're on an island and you sink all the ships, you have to make it work, right? I mean, he talks about sinking all the ships. I had put every last penny I had into this idea. And so all the ships around me were sunk. I couldn't, I couldn't go backwards. So, I mean, the only solution to going backwards was that it wasn't going to work and I'd go back to being a consultant. But I think that kind of forced me to really look forward as opposed to looking backwards because you can second guess yourself on almost everything that you do in life. And I'm like, you know what? Let's just figure it out. Yeah. So the biggest thing there I see is focusing forwards and not getting caught up in the stories and repeating the stories. Because we all have, everyone has things that happen in their life that don't go to plan, whether you call them bad things or learnings or whatever it is. But getting caught in the story of that and reliving it is where the problem is. So you're in a call center now. You've got, you still have a thousand employees or is it? Roughly now. right, right yeah. now, there's probably right now there's right around 800 because we're coming through the summer and summer's a little bit slower for us. So we'll probably be back up there, you know, now that we're starting to get towards fourth quarter. So a thousand employees, this is the bit that absolutely blew me away. You hire people to quit. Yeah. Tell, and it, tell us about that because <laughs> when I used to hire my staff and still when I do, I think I really want them to hang around. So I was super intrigued to hear about this. And, well, by, the, and I, by the way, I'm a convert here. <laughs> I want them to hang around too. But I, I guess the thing is, is I think about, look, it's my dream, you know, to build a world-class call center. That's my dream right now. That's not their dream. How many of my employees at 11 years old were wearing a headset and pretending that they were answering sales calls or customer service calls? I have to think that none of them yeah. dreamt of being a call center operator when they grew up. But I do think that they dreamt about having a home. And they dreamt about having a car. Some of them wanted to be artists, dancers, musicians. Some of them wanted to open a restaurant. Some of them wanted to be lawyers and hang out their own shingle. Some of them wanted to run. Uh, they loved the box. They wanted to tr teach others how to box. And in Mexico, some of them want to work for the government. That's a dream for some people to get a government position. And, and so I was like, you know, and it was an evolution. Like it started with just us coming up with core values and hiring a director of awesomeness. And our director of awesomeness set out markers that said, okay, these are, these are the proof that we are as a company living our core values. And so one of our core values is to go beyond ourselves, which for me is giving back to charity. And as a company, we've flown, you know, about 10 people from Mexico and a few people from other offices in the U.S. down to Haiti or Nicaragua where we've built schools. We have a partnership with Build On, which is a charity in the U.S. where there's a school in Chicago called Juarez High School. And the kids that participate in the build-on program graduated at a 95% rate 
while the kids that are not in the program are around 45 to 50%. And it teaches people to give back. It teaches people to do for others. And, and you know, we've, we've, we know for a fact that kids have stopped thinking about suicide and stopped doing drugs and stayed away from the gangs because of the fact that Build On exists up there. So we, you know, we, we've given away over a million dollars to Build On to help support education around the world. And, and that's a big cause for us. You know, education is something that can change the footprint. And so we started with just these core values, but it, it didn't seem like it was enough. My mom and dad, I wanted to be a musician and they were like, well, okay, do music, but it's mm-hmm. highly unlikely you do it. So why don't you also get this trade job working as a travel agent or whatever? And, and I joined the army infantry and got that as a, as a fallback. And I had all these fallbacks. I didn't burn the ships, you know? Yeah. I had all these fallbacks and I really would have preferred that somebody teach me how to go after my dreams. And I'm not blaming my mom and dad. I think, you know, that they obviously did a great job of preparing me to, to win, you know, by giving me the values that I have. But I thought about my own employees and I thought about our culture and our environment. And I said, what's going to create somebody who is most likely to want to have a learning mindset? And that is doing for them what they want to have done for them in their lifetime. Mm -hmm. And so Dream Trust became a program where I said, okay, how do we find out what people are dreaming of? And there's different areas that we work with them on their dreams. We work with them on happiness, which includes wealth. How do you save money? How do you take the money that you have and be able to set some aside so you can accomplish some of your dreams? Health. If you don't have your health, you have one dream, which is good health. Happiness, relationships, you got to learn how to have relationships with your children, with your partner, with your, with your boss. Career, what do you want for a career? Is it to be an artist? Is it to be a musician? Is it to work for the government? And then time off. You know, we, you should learn about what to do with your time off. Do you want to jump from an airplane? Great white shark dive, go to Machu Picchu, go to France, go to Australia. You know, where do, what do you want to do with your time? And so we actually run courses that train people on these different happiness pillars. And when we first hire them, we say, what are your dreams? There are 12 areas where people dream. And we say, what are three things that you guys are dreaming about in all those 12 areas? And then we work with them on what they are. And ironically, a lot of our employees just wanted a home or a car or we have single fathers that have been divorced and they have their daughters on the weekend. And all they really want is their weekends off. That's their dream. Find a job that will give them their weekends off so they can have their daughters for the full weekend. Just crazy stuff. We've had lawyers who wanted to hang out his own shingle. And through our Dream Trust program, we taught him how to do Facebook advertising and Instagram advertising and build a website. And he was with us for three months and quit and went and hung out a shingle. And he has more customers than lawyers who have been in business for 20 years. I'm going to stop you right here because I feel that we're just about to go down this this path. Before we do, I mean, I just take my hat off to you. I, what you're saying is so, so true. But how often do we stop and actually look back and go, what are we doing to change other people in this way? Because as business owners, even though, you know, most of us go into business to make an impact in whatever that means to us, still stopping and and understanding that we can make an impact to our employees in this way is huge. Where did you even get the idea to start really asking your employees what it was that they wanted with their life? Well, so John Butcher has a program called Lifebook out of Chicago, and he has 12 pillars where you're basically constructing the dream life. And so I kind of wanted to take a little bit about what John did, simplify a little bit. And then Matthew Kelly wrote a book called The Dream Manager, And his was talking a lot about helping people with their dreams as well. So I kind of combined the two. And then I built a curriculum around it for other companies to follow and learn from and implement themselves. So it was a combination of places. Uh, Tony Shea from Zappos 
and the Zappos organization. I had a lot of conversations with their culture folks on some of the things they're doing, and that was a big influence in some of the stuff that, that we do. But we had already done a lot of things. We gave away six cars one year. Every other month, wow. we gave away a car. Wow. And, uh, you know, we've done some big things, but I was just, how do you really do something that makes an impact on somebody personally? And if you love your employees and you care about your employees, don't you want the best for them? Don't you want them to live their dream life, not live your dream life? And, mm-hmm. and I, I've lost some really good people, but they're so much happier. And if I love them, shouldn't I be happy for them? Absolutely. That is just so beautiful. All right. So, so you take them through these six pillars or their 12 areas where people dream. Tell us where in the process of people coming to work with you, do you start to work on them with this process? Day one. There's a reason for that too, because I do sales training for them and I want them to learn our core values. Mm-hmm. I want them to live our core values and I want them to learn our sales process because what makes us different as a company, this is kind of a selfish thing. But what makes us different is that we have an excellent sales training program that teaches people how to communicate mm-hmm. over the telephone. Our results are always better than every other call center's results. And it's because of the sales training program. And the reason that our training results are so much better is because we route calls to agents based on how good they are on the phones. So if, they're, if their quality scores are really high and their sales scores are really high, they might get 300 phone calls. Every phone call for them is worth 8 to 30 pesos. And so if you're not very good on the phones, you might only get, it's going to be worth eight pesos a call and you might only get 50 calls for the week. Mm -hmm. If you're really good, you're going to make 20 to 30 pesos a call and you're going to get 200 calls. Uh And and so um, it's in their best interest to learn because the quicker they learn, the more money they're going to make, which is going to help them accomplish their own dreams faster. And so I train it on day one. And day two, we spend this whole time going through the workshop and how we're training them to quit. And the only way they're going to quit my company is if they're really good at what they do, because otherwise they're going to be stuck. If they don't put in the effort, they're going to be stuck. So I want them to retain my sales training. So these guys, once we start sales training, they're so motivated to learn that I get the best salespeople on the planet coming out of training answering my customers' phone calls. My customers don't even, they're like, we convert at 45% versus the other center they were at was at 25% because my agents are so motivated. And so for me, it was a tool. And I'm like, so Dream Trust wasn't only something I wanted to do, but it was something that I thought would benefit the value of my company as well. And it does. And do you have your employees actually referring other employees to you? Oh, of course. We have a line out the door. Because <laughs> <laughs> that's what I'm thinking. If I, you know, if I was there and I knew that someone was going to help me achieve my dreams uh, and I was going to get paid in the meantime while I was getting there, that to me sounds like a sweet deal. Yeah. And uh, we, whenever we hire, we have a lot of people that tend to show up at the front door to, uh, to come in. That's so fantastic. Now, take us through the 12 areas where people dream. Are these actually attached back to the six pillars that you were talking about earlier? Yeah, they are. They are attached to that. Um, it's just that all these people have areas of, all these people have different areas of which they dream, which, you know, sometimes it's like, who do you want to meet? So one of my favorite stories is I've always wanted to meet the the remaining Beatles. And I did a project for David Lynch. He was throwing a birthday party for Ringo Starr and he invited me to the birthday party. And, uh, and, and so I got to meet Ringo Starr in that program. He's somebody who I, who I always wanted to, you know, who I always wanted to meet. So sometimes it's people you want to meet. 
Sometimes mm-hmm. it's places that you want to go. There are physical dreams that you have, emotional, intellectual, psychological, spiritual, material, professional, financial, creative, adventure dreams, legacy dreams. What do you want to leave for your children and character dreams? Who do you want to be? So like, for example, one of our, one of our exercises when we're doing a character, uh, character dreams is what type of character do you want to have? So we have a worksheet and on one side of the worksheet, you write down three people who you admire who are famous. And, what do you, and then on the right side of the sheet, you write down what you admire them for. And then you write down three people that you know, that you are personally attached to, whether it's your aunt or a friend. And you write down the same characteristics as to why you admire them for that. Well, then we have our agents fold the sheet in half and we say, this is who you, who you want to be. This is the character that you want to develop because these are the characters you admire. And so it allows them to really understand who they are as a person uh, just from that, you know, from that character uh, worksheet that we put together. So there's little things like that that we do for all those things. But I love material. Do you want a car? Do you want a house? Professional. What type of job do you want to have? Financial. Do you want to have money in the bank? Creative. Do you want to be a musician, an artist? So those are, those are the 12 really quickly. But, but what we've taught our agents is that those who fail to plan, plan to fail. We even have a casket in one of our training rooms, and we say, this is you in the casket. Who's at your funeral? What are they saying about you? You know, did you do everything you wanted to do in life? Did you impact others? Or do you just want to be a nobody, you know? Nobody Mm. wants to be a nobody. No, and it can be – I've done a training similar, and it can be a big, I guess, a slap in the face moment to think, oh, wow, if I keep going down this path, this is not, you know, I'm out of alignment of, of the legacy that I want to leave. Yeah, we, have um, people, we have people cry during the training. I can imagine. So you, you hire these people to quit. It's, I can hear that it, it uh, means that your staff are more productive when they're there. They are pushing for success more. I guess they're trying to please everyone around there. I can understand how that's great for the culture. What I'd love to know is how it's impacted you personally, having this culture of staff around you that think and act like this. What's funny about that question is, um, I'm glad you asked it. As an entrepreneur, as a high-performing entrepreneur, what I need to work on personally is, is to celebrate some of the successes we've had. If I'm being totally honest, I think for me, I'm happy with the success we've seen. I'm proud of the guy that quit and opened a boxing ring and helps kids come off the street, you know? Um, my COO, after eight years, quit and bought a golf course. I hated it when he quit, but I'm <laughs> proud of him. I'm proud of him for going after his dream. And I'm glad he didn't stick around for my dream anymore, you know? And so I don't necessarily settle on the things that have happened. All I can think of is this has been successful here. I need a million companies to do this. I want 10 million people to be part of Dream Trust worldwide. I mean, that's for me, I'm so goal-driven that I'm like, I feel like I haven't done anything, mm-hmm. you know? So, yeah, there's some sense of kind of cool that I've helped people. One of my employees, her dream was to um, stand on the star at the Dallas Cowboys Stadium. And so it's funny how whenever you write down a dream, somehow things happen. And I, I met a guy who had tickets and he had the ability to bring somebody onto the field and so I, did, I brought her to the game and did that for her. And she got to lie on the star at the 50-yard line at the Dallas Cowboys. And she ran a football into the end zone. And she hugged the goalpost. And 
<laughs> That's so but, awesome. Yeah. I mean, and so I enjoy seeing some of that. I enjoy my friend Walter who got to have his daughter after a custody battle because he finally got to buy a house. And, you know, all the girl who works for the visa office now because we inspired her to and taught her to network better. And yeah, there's some great stories, but I'm never going to settle because I think as an entrepreneur who has the talent and the skill to do bigger things, I need to do bigger things. And there's a story there in itself, um, yeah. which is where I want to go next. You started this, you know, from grassroots uh, without the, the capital, I guess, as some people have when they start their businesses. Back at that time, did you understand this dream trust concept in its infancy? And is that how you got to where you are today? Tell us the story of how you managed to get from, I can't pay, I can't do payroll this week to, you know, this multi, multi-million dollar business that you own now. It was even worse than that. I would put all my bills in a fish tank. I couldn't even pay my own bills. Mm. I'm paying my employees. <laughs> um, I think, you know, I, so we started to have success and I always, one of my favorite stories is when I met Richard Branson. He was somebody who I idolize and I always wanted to meet him. And he was coming to San Francisco to speak. So I got there the day before to look at what security was wearing and I went out and bought the same outfit. Oh, wow. Oh and, my goodness. <laughs> uh, I had a friend of mine, this, this six, seven black friend of mine, Ramon, who was a basketball player and almost made it to the NBA, but not quite. But he was a big guy. And so he wore the same outfit. And I said, we're going to pretend like we're security. And if we're two big guys walking in together, people aren't going to stop us. He goes, this is never going to work. I'm like, I'm going to meet Richard Branson. Yeah. And so I just walked straight back. Somebody stopped me. I'm like, I'm with security. Get out of my way. And I just went right out back and I walked up to Richard with a $20 bill hand wrapped around my business card and said, this is the first 20 we're going to make together. And Richard yeah. said, oh, right. brilliant, brilliant. And he took the 20 and put it in his pocket, which yeah. I got a kick out of. Yeah, yeah. Um, he gave me his private email address. And a few years later, as the company was having some success, the Inc. 500 you know, we were invited to go to Necker Island to spend a week with Richard Branson. And so I emailed him and said, I'm coming to see you. He goes, oh, brilliant. And I, when I got to the island, I said, I always get a kick out of the fact you put the $20 in your pocket. And he goes, well, you don't get to be a billionaire without taking people's money. He goes, so oh, of course oh. I did. <laughs> yeah. And uh, But on that island, there was a couple of guys, they were doing an event in Calgary called uh, Engage Today. There were Tony Shea was a speaker. The Dalai Lama was a speaker. Richard was speaking. It was a big event. There were a lot. Steve Covey spoke at this event. And it was all about the shift from industrial revolution into more of a, you know, more of a thoughtful revolution where people, the way people thought was different and how you engage with their employees is different. And so it started out, we met Janet Atwood and Chris Atwood, who wrote the book, The Passion Test. And so that's where it started. Dream Trust wasn't even a thought, you know, at that point. It was trying to get culture so that we were able to kind of implement a program where we hired the right people, where we were firing through culture, where we were looking for people with the right values that we wanted to represent our company. It was only maybe three years ago where I said, we're still not doing enough. And we changed our philosophy a little bit and came up with the Dream Trust program. And it was after, uh, again, doing some work with Zappos' culture team, picking up Matthew Kelly's book, uh, talking to John Butcher from Lifebook and, and really trying to think of a better way to build a mousetrap that's out there that could do more for employees. So when you were going through that change, 
and you knew that you needed to change the philosophy. Did you think straight away, it's the culture, this is what we've got to change? Or was there many other things that you looked at? You know, because there's so many areas in our business that we need to look. So was culture just, that's it? Or was that a big conversation in itself? No, I think, I think we looked at a lot of different things, but I thought our turnover was at 24%. And I didn't like our turnover numbers because in customer service, the way that we were... So this had some financial impact because the way that we were building our clients is we would hire people and bill them for the initial training, but we would never bill our clients for training based on turnover. We had a 24% turnover and we were billing an hourly rate. And because we had a 24% turnover, we were basically making pennies for every hour that we had employees on the phone. So my margin wasn't enough to, you know, wasn't enough to sustain the call center wasn't enough to pay the bills. So I was like, I need to get my turnover fixed. I need to make sure people aren't leaving the business because we, then we, you know, at the rate we're billing, we either need to charge like three to $5 more per hour, or I need to get this turnover under control and bring the turnover down. And so for me, it was an exercise of saying, how do we hire, you know, number one, how do we recruit better people? And so we started looking at the way that we were recruiting and we were throwing money out there. We were trying to recruit people for money. And I'm like, when you recruit people for money, they're going to leave. It's just a matter of time. Let's hire for values. Let's, you know, let's make sure our message is our core values. And, and then I wanted to really promote the fact that we were going to help them live their own dreams. And so it started out as a recruiting tool. You know, how do we recruit better people? That way we, we hire. The most talented people don't want to work for somebody else. They want to work for themselves. Mm -hmm. So how do you find the best talent? Well, you tell the people who are talented that we're going to help them quit. And so it was kind of this whole mishmash of problems that I was looking for a solution to. And that just happened to be the solution. Our turnover went down to 5%. So for someone that's listening and they haven't even got to a million dollars in their business or their company right now, and I understand that this question is how long is a piece of string, but what would you tell them were the three things that they needed to look at in their business or to really start to focus on in their business? Well, everybody that I talk to around core values says that if they had one thing they could do differently, they would have done their core values sooner. I think if you're a company of three people, you should have core values. Because I think for me, core values is the guiding light. It's like the star of Bethlehem. It's the guiding light of your business. So in my book, Hired to Quit, I talk about hiring for culture before talent. And I don't mean for you not to look at their resume and their talent and look at what they've accomplished, but I don't care if someone is, if someone is amazing on paper, if they don't fit your culture and don't have the same values as you, it's not going to work. It's going to be a bad fit and it's going to hurt your business. And so for me, if it was somebody just starting out, I would say, these are the things I want my business to represent. These are the values that I want my company to have. And then from there, it's very easy to grow into something bigger and better from a, a culture standpoint. Love that. And I'm, it's so weird, actually. I'm a bit woo-woo, so it's not weird at all. I was sitting here reading, because I've made a ton of notes. I was sitting here going to ask you about values, and I didn't get there, and it's the very first thing that you've brought up. I love that. We're on the same wavelength. <laughs> Even on the other side of the world. <laughs> so... The first thing that people should uh, do if they haven't is look at their core values, which I totally agree with. What's, what's, uh, what's something else that they could look at that you have noticed in your business? 
Well, for me, it was figuring out what my, my key, key performance indicators are. So for example, for me, my key, one of my keys in running a profitable business is keeping my payroll because I have a lot of employees. And if I don't have enough calls, my payroll could go from 40% to 70%. And, and so I'm like, figure out what your key numbers are, the metrics that you can't fail with. And for me, once my payroll gets up over 40%, I start to get into that place where I'm not making the margin I need to make. Once I get to 50%, you know, I'm almost running at a break even. 60%, I'm either to break even or losing money, but I've had my payroll at almost, you know, 70% before. But then there's other things like on your financial model, we thought we'd save some money because we didn't have a CFO. So we hired, we outsourced our CFO. But in our finances, we didn't put that into our payroll numbers. But your lawyers is, is a payroll expense. You're, I mean, I think there are people that you can eliminate, but you're going to have to have lawyers. You're going to have to have an accountant, you're going to have, those are payroll numbers. And so we had those set aside to different things. So there was times when, when we weren't even tracking our numbers, you know, our key number was this 40% number, but I had all these costs below the line that were consultants, but they were payroll. And so I think, I think the second piece of advice is make sure your financials are simple, easy to understand, um, that you have your expenses by based on percentage in the right area, dollar amounts and percentages, Make sure you have high visibility so you can make decisions quickly. So the first thing we've done going through turnarounds is I've got a list of things I can cut. PR. You know, I don't need to spend 5000 a month on PR if I'm, if I'm losing money. Cut it. There's different things like that. Consultants, I don't need their advice anymore, you know. Mm. <laughs> There's some that I might, but a lot of times I don't need it. You know, yeah. cut that. So I, I'd say that having a good financial look at your business and going over your numbers each week, once a week, it's an hour-long call. No big deal. To yep. look at numbers. Yeah. Uh, and so I think that's important too. Totally. Now you have, you just mentioned your book, Hired to Quit, Inspired to Stay. Uh, and that's coming out. Oh, I don't know when this is going to air, but it comes out in October, right? Yeah. It's actually up for pre-sale right now. So you can buy it on Amazon in Spanish or English. And, uh, and it is, the launch date is October 16th. So tell us a little bit more about why we want to get this book. I think one of the things I've done that's different from a lot of books I've seen is I've literally written down all the ways that we've failed and mm -hmm. the things that we went through in order to solve the problems. It's, it's a book that highly, um, that is highly executionable. So if you want to build out your core values, I explain the process we went through in pretty good detail. We started with 18 values and all of my employees contributed, all of my key directors contributed values that they thought we're all about. And then we said, if you could be a company that reaches for the stars, but you could never be a company that is true to yourself and true to others, or you could be a company that's true to yourself and true to others, but you could never be a company that reaches for the stars, which value is more important? And we went through that exercise back and forth over and over to come up with what our company's core values are. And it took us over two weeks to do it and hours and hours because we wanted to do it in order too. What was our most important value out of the seven values that we had? And so I explained that process. And then maybe five years later, some of our values, like going beyond ourselves, which is meant for charity, some of our employees thought it meant work harder. <laughs> so I'm like, oh, man. So uh, another value we had was live life like an extreme sport. And that meant, you know, meant one thing. It meant have fun, go all out. You know, it was, 
it was like the X Games, you know, go crazy. Yeah. And, but people weren't really sure what the definition was. So we changed our values again and said, okay, instead of living life like an extreme sport, our value is going to be be positive and fun, 100% effort, 100% heart. Because that's what I mean. So now the definition of what the value is is in the phrase. Yes. And so we've evolved even further. And so I basically walk people through that entire evolution of how we came up with our values and, and that process. And I talked about the markers that we set in order to establish that we were living our values because you can assign values, but if you don't have markers, then it's not going to be executed. Yeah. Uh, and then, the, then, of course, the blueprint for Dream Trust, which is a whole different evolution. The other side of it is I talk about all the ways that we, we've gone through as a call center. You know, we've had to go through four or five restarts, turnarounds, restarts, whatever you want to call them. And we've done some things that I'm not so proud of, but we've done things to survive. And I explain what those things are. So like in one instance, we had a client bring a product to retail and we went from making 50,000 a week to losing 70,000 a week almost overnight. Wow. And we had a lot of cash that we hadn't collected yet from our outside clients. But one of the biggest things is we had almost $300,000 worth of bills like in, you know, it was long distance bills and platform bills and rent bills, and I called all my vendors when that happened and said, guess what? We're not going to pay you. Now, I am going to pay you moving forward. I'm not going to get any further behind, but I need this cash as oxygen because we just had this crisis, and if I give you all the cash, I'll be out of business, and you're not going to get any money. Yep. But I explained the process of how we negotiated that, and we paid everybody 100% of what we owed them, but we just needed oxygen because once yes. the bigger you get, the harder it is to breathe. Yes. And so I, I really give actionable things for you to use in your business if, if the stuff hits the fan. If you're in that <laughs> position, it's nice to have a book you can turn to that can act as an advisor and a, a mentor when, when you're starting to go through those things. I love that. So the book's We could have done it without the culture. You know, without the culture we have, we wouldn't have been able to survive it either. Totally. Sounds like a great book. The book's Hide to Quit, Inspired to Stay. You can get it on Amazon. I'll certainly be going to get well, my copy. And I'm selling it for 99 cents until three days after the launch. So I'm going to leave it for 99 cents until like October 20th. Okay. We will make sure that this hits the airwaves before then so that people don't miss out on that super special. I think this is a fantastic book. Then I'm so going to crank many. it up. I'm going to crank that price way up back. <laughs> totally. Because just not hearing those stories of people's failures and learnings can be so helpful to us going forwards in our business. It's a quick read. It's 170 pages, but I've told people have told me they've been able to read it in three hours. Love so it. it's, not, it's not an overly, you know, it's not going to take you forever to read. And it's an easy read because it's written with my unique wit and my, I write, I think more from a speak, a speaker type of uh, I'm yeah. a little bit of an odd duck. So I think it's pretty easy to read. <laughs> love it. Love it. Love it. For us to call this episode complete, Kate, Craig, what do you want to leave us with? What's your parting thoughts on everything that we've spoken about? Well, a couple of things. The, the first thing I think is um, if somebody ever wants to reach out to me, I can be reached through Facebook or Craig at Listen Trust or I'm on LinkedIn. If you Google me, I walk really loudly. <laughs> yeah, Google, Google seems to like me, so I'm pretty easy to find. And I, I try to be very accessible. I don't try to hide behind an executive assistant or any of those things. So that that's one thing. If someone needs help, I'm not the type of guy that's going to say, give me $10,000 and I'll talk to you. I'm the type of guy that wants to put you first and try to help. I don't want to be taken advantage of, but I do care about people and care mm -hmm. about their success. And the other parting thought is, I, I think the one thing I've heard people say is, 
I don't want to lose my key employees. And I guess the other, the other parting thought is if it was your son who wanted to be a musician and you owned a business, wouldn't you want your son to go be a musician? Mm. So why wouldn't you want the same thing for the employees that you care about the most? You know, so let them live their dream and you live your dream and you'll find people that will, that will jump on board and, and jump in your boat and live your dream with you. And uh, let the people that are the most talented want to do their own thing, go do their own thing. It's what they're born to do. I love that. By, letting, by helping other people achieve their dreams, you're achieving yours. Exactly. Thanks so much, Craig. It's been an absolute pleasure speaking to you today. And you. best of luck with the book launch. Thank you so much. And, and you've been a big part of helping. So thank you. I appreciate you. Do you want to grow and scale your business so you can make an even bigger impact? One of the reasons I've been able to achieve the success I have over the years can be attributed to one simple factor, surrounding myself with like-minded people, people who think big like me, who have a desire for growth, and who understand the challenges we face when growing and scaling a business. That's why I've created a free community, especially for thought leaders and experts just like you, and I'd love you to join us. Just request access to my free Facebook group at Thought Leaders in a Circle. If you enjoyed today's episode, I would love you to share this on your favorite social account. Just head to samanthariley.global forward slash podcast, click on your favorite episode and you'll see the buttons right there to share the love. And as this show is new, I would love, love, love you to leave a five-star rating and a review on iTunes. See you next time in the Thought Leaders Business Lab. <music>